Alongside the new and until recently rather odd-sounding concepts associated with the coronavirus, lockdown, furlough, self-isolation, are older and more familiar terms, bankruptcy, unemployment, recession. And in these strange and unsettling times, academics are turning their attention to both old and new. Dimitrios Spiridonidis, for example, Associate Professor of Leadership and Innovation here at Warwick Business School, has come up with six principles of leadership in a crisis. And in this Core Insights podcast, one of a series focusing on the impact the pandemic's having on both individuals and society, and on how your organisations can survive it, he'll be explaining what they are. He joins me now via telephone link, of course, and Professor, let me ask you, perhaps unfairly, the quantum question. What's your number one principle to follow when leading in a crisis? I suppose it depends on the crisis. If we think about uh, the recent pandemic, the recent pandemic is, is very different from the typical type of crisis that we have been familiar with, only because in a few short weeks we have entered a crisis unlike anything most of us have ever seen. Yeah, So a crisis where any pre-existing course of action has to put on hold or uh, reset. Uh, so and, and also, it's a crisis that can naturally lead anyone to feel frustrated, annoyed, overwhelmed, and, and so forth. In, in that type of crisis, I think we need to start with emotions because everybody is uh, panicking, everybody frustrated, everybody's going through a lot of negative emotions. So what, what leaders, anybody needs to do, first of all, is to, to, to create some kind of um, control out of chaos, uh, try to uh, calm people uh, and give people hope. That's where you start, especially with with a crisis such as uh, the coronavirus. Now, you say leaders need to switch their mindset from the individual or the organization to the broader interdependencies of their organization. Could you perhaps unpack that with a couple of examples? Yes. The easiest example that I can use is, um, uh, let's start with, you know, the the case of uh, the UK and Boris Johnson. If you are in the midst in the midst of a fire, you certainly want the fire commander to exercise combating control. Yes, so, so some level of command and control is going to be necessary here. And this is what Boris Johnson did, you know, very heroic, exemplified individual uh, leadership, uh, giving daily press conferences, try to calm and try to give directions to the country in terms of how to respond. Following which, then we, we see a connection to the experts, uh, the likes of uh, the chief medical officer and the chief scientific officer, where the three of them try to to create, uh, you know, the best course of action on on the basis of valid, strong evidence. But that's not enough, because following which we see the beginnings of a more authentic forms of distributed leadership, where everybody in the system played a role towards containing the crisis. And we can see that with the setup of a large-scale emergency-focused hospitals, 
such as the 4,000 COVID-dedicated hospital in London, uh, the delivery of distance learning education for school children, uh, ensuring that care homes for the elderly remain functioning, and to the most extreme, where 500, you know, a thousand people, public volunteer to help the NHS. So you can see that the action goes from the individual level to the to the organisation and then the system level to help the healthcare system to to cope with with the crisis. And is it the the interconnectedness of things of the world in general today that's really changing it all? It is in this type of, of crisis. I think we, we certainly need a. Uh, a mindset change because this is a time when performance will be judged by how a company, a system, an organization, a leader, and the leadership serve everyone and fulfill a higher purpose that's of survival. And the choices made now will presumably determine the resilience of the company in the future. Uh, absolutely, and this is where the response to crisis becomes a paradoxical issue. What I mean by that is the way that you respond now will determine whether you are relevant tomorrow. A retailer came to me last week and said and asked me, how can I help my customers regain their trust on, on me as, 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 a, as a provider after the crisis? And, and that's what I said. You need to be visible today to be able to regain their trust uh, tomorrow. And is one example of that something like, say, the high street baker Greggs closing their shops earlier than they had to for the public good and then using their foundation to help people in need? In other words, doing good now, if you like, storing up goodwill for the future. Absolutely. And I think that's a very good example that demonstrates how leading with a clear purpose will keep those providers relevant tomorrow. Uh, because we need to be able to show up and meet the requirements and expectations of multiple stakeholders in such a type of crisis. So you're saying people have to lead with the best interests of others in mind. Now, that's fine for a government, a care system, a charity, but does it work in the commercial world of profit and bottom lines? Again, the, the answer to that starts with it depends for how long the crisis goes. Uh, but but we can see examples from the corporate world that were taken with uh, you know having people in mind. Think about you know uh, sporting seasons have been cancelled, theme parks closed, conferences postponed, and the list go, goes on. But also we've seen more compassionate behaviour from the corporate world. For example, Johnson and Johnson in China provided funds, medical supplies, and protective equipment to various organisations dealing with the outbreak. Amazon has has decided to set up a $5 million fund to help small businesses uh, near its headquarters. So you can see how the crisis enabled people to become more, more humane and more compassionate, but also thinking about the present and also the future. On to principle number two, lead with facts, not fear. Is that a way of saying just keep a level head? Absolutely. Uh, and I think this is where, you know, we need to be, uh, remain calm uh, and try to identify, you know, make a distinction between uh, evidence and, and information. Because, I mean, all sorts of new information have emerged in, in the recent uh, days. You know, 
stay away from Nurofen, you can, you can get uh, paracetamol. Uh, you can do this, you can do that. More importantly, how do you devise your strategy at the system level to make sure that you go from, let's say, uh, you know, from a lockdown strategy? What, what, what does inform your strategy? So I think it's really important to identify the best possible evidence to, to to inform your your action, but then sometimes you might not be have you might not be able to have those those type of evidence. So you need to experiment, and we've seen that on the ground. We've seen that. So for example, I can I can see what um, I can think of a case of a uh, hospital in Italy in Brescia, where 250 coronavirus patients require required breathing machines, but uh, the the hospital ran out of respiratory valves needed to connect the patient to the machines. So the supplier was unable to meet the sudden high demand. So what was the response to that? Certain, certain organizations came up and used 3D printing to meet the hospital demands. So in a very kind of experiential uh, trial and error way. So you need to be able to identify valid information, but also, and this is why I'm talking about paradox, at the same time you need to embrace the, the need to experiment with new ways of doing things. Now, at the risk of sounding flippant, um, you'll be familiar with the reworking of the Kipling verse. If you can keep your head while all around are losing theirs, maybe you've misjudged the situation. In other words, isn't an awareness of fear helpful and certainly realistic? Oh, yes. And, and I think when I hear fear... I, I think about blame, and I think this is another another paradox of uh, of living in crisis. Because what you need to do, what you have to do, is you need to embrace fear or blame to discipline your people so that you can uh, engender action. So something happens on the ground. But then, what what we also see is that you know crises like this create a fertile territory for organizational learning where we try the new different things, take the example of the respiratory valves, for example. We try new things and we learn and become ready to uh, respond to future crises. So fear and, uh, fear and learning, I think, sit at the two opposite uh, ends of the spectrum, and we need, to, as leaders during crisis, we need to embrace both fear but also learning, embrace discipline but also creativity. I suppose the first thing might be stop, take stock, get information, get facts, and presumably then communicate those ideas to allay the fears. Absolutely, but you also think, I think the other paradox here is you need to instill some, some sense of control, uh, because that's, that's what people like. They need accountability and they would like control. And there are a number of different ways that I can see people to, to introduce uh, control in a difficult situation. I think there are, there are, there are many things that you can, you can do to, to uh, introduce control in, in a, such a chaotic situation. Have daily calls and daily communications at a fixed time with all the employees through mobile phones. Or in my team, for example, we, some of us are doing daily quizzes. So some, some, you see what I mean? Some form of control that helps with the mental health and stability of employees. And that leads us on to principle number three, 
don't lead alone. This is the time to surround yourself with a reliable team and to be honest about things. And, and this is the example I said, you know, the, this is what I said before about, you know, the, the very kind of radical U-turn from we don't need the experts to we, need, we do need the experts in, 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 the, in the political rhetoric where, you know, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, a few months ago, he said we don't need to, the experts to decide about the Brexit and so forth. But now we need to embrace the expert to understand how we can make the right uh, decision to contain the virus. And presumably, don't be afraid of hearing views that conflict with yours. In other words, don't think you know it all. Uh, exactly. And this, is, and, and this is another paradox. Because mainly what happens, we need our leaders to be very experts in the, in the area, that we need the leaders to be very confident, uh, be able to lead, but also we need the leaders not to have the answers to all our, to all our problems. This, this, you know, embracing this diversity of thought can, 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 can create the space for new ideas to come up and help for help people to come through, to go through a difficult situation. And yet, isn't this a difficult balance to keep? You know, because the public in general, we want a confident leader who doesn't look as though he or she is in doubt. You know, we want strength and confidence. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think we need our leaders to be very confident and be able to lead us primarily during a period of crisis. This is why I think the Ireland's prime minister example to return to his medicinal roots to help with his country to fight the coronavirus is a good example. He's able to lead from the front, make difficult decisions, but then at the same time he's able to follow the patient or where the need is to add capacity to the system, to, to, to help the system to go through the crisis. And, and I think that's very, very difficult for leaders to embrace because you need to challenge yourself, your identity as a leader, your identity as an expert, and, and you need to go away from this tendency to give answers to solve uh, problems. And the other area you raise, of course, is collaboration, which in your view now, more than ever, is crucial. It is important because for, for, for such a massive, you know, such a crisis, I think one person cannot, uh, you know, cannot save, save the world for us. I think if, 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 if we take the example of the healthcare system, I think if we want to contain the virus, we need to make sure that different agencies work in a conservative and collaborative matter towards a common goal. So we need to share the same objective if we're able to help the system to, uh, to go through the crisis. Even this, this idea of social distancing, I think every, you know, every, every person needs to take individual responsibility. Do you see what I mean? And we together can help the system to cope. So collaborative action is, is really important when it comes to, to, to crisis. Well, let's take a couple of vulnerable sectors right now, retail and aviation. What would leadership look like there? How would it play out? I think the retail is, is, is an interesting one because I think, I think before the crisis, the retail sector was living in slow, in slow, a slow death and now the coronavirus is challenging pretty much everything uh, retailers do. But I think the only, the only thing that... Uh, uh, leaders in this particular field can, can do is to remember that the only way that they can become de uh, visible to the customers is to embrace uh, embrace digital um, 
channels of uh, information and communication with with with, uh, with the customers. That's very different different from uh, from someone who is leading in, in the aviation industry, whereby the number one concern is to stay in the game, uh, even though nobody's using their services anymore. So diff- different type of challenges, different types of, of responses, I, I suppose. Now, is this a time to go after new business, or is it just a time for consolidation and reassuring your existing customers? Oh, that's a good. That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I think. I think it helps to remember that when and if we go, you know. Uh, we managed to contain the crisis. I don't think we're going to go back to business as usual. So I'm not sure whether this is an opportunity to embrace new business, but I, I, I certainly believe this is an opportunity to challenge existing ways of doing things, uh, ask difficult questions, uh, challenge, challenge the, you know, look, look into new opportunities, new ways of doing things, embrace the digital, uh, and so forth. So this is an opportunity to learn something about uh, the assumptions that we use to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. So to principle number four, speed trumps right. What do you mean? During periods of crisis, uh, as I said, we need to make sure that we instill some sort of, you know, leaders need to instill some form of control and give hope to people. But more than anything else, leaders need to act. So the question is, how do you do that? And as you can see, here is another paradox. Uh, we need to stop and take stuff of what we have. At the same time, we need to act really fast. Because if we don't do, then we might face God knows what effects. I mean, we can, we, we can see what, what happened with coronavirus pandemic when people, or even with the, the UK, was kind of struggling between shall we go for one strategy, uh, so we go to immune herding or so we go to social distancing and delays there can have a massive, massive impact on the population level. So action is necessary, is, is, is important. But then the, the challenge is how do you how do you do all that if you don't have the nice information, uh, when you know when we're grappling with the wrong emotions, people are frustrated, anxious, afraid. Uh, when they work in an environment of blame, nobody wants to take decisions. To offer. You, see, you see what I mean? So it's, it's, it can be a very difficult uh, environment to act, but we need to act fast. And you also say be on the lookout for burnout in yourself and in others, because if any of your key team is affected, then the organization obviously will suffer. Be open to your own fallibility, I suppose. But burnout you know, was a big issue before before the crisis, and uh, we used to, uh, you know, think about how we can deal with hidden mental health issues of uh, uh, coming from the workforce. Now, on top of that, we have to take care of, uh, you know, potential physical ill health that might arise because of the coronavirus epidemic of our employees, their people, their families, their, their relatives. So, uh, so I think the challenge that we face is pretty much the same, but it's even more, uh, more challenging given the situation. So burnout is quite a, you know, a threat to the current situation.
Now, you also say something that seems rather strange in the current circumstances. You say that there's room for experimentation and taking risks. That seems counterintuitive in a crisis. It is, and it, and it, and it isn't. Uh, it, it is because during the crisis, you need to kind of go back to the old recipes and use existing strategies that can help you to go through crisis in the past. Yeah, but then this situation is very different, only because of the the, the nature of, of of the crisis. So I think existing recipes might not work here. This is a nice fertile territory to take risks, try try new things, and challenge some of the assumptions that we used to, to make decisions in 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 the previous world, which is not relevant anymore. A crisis, I suppose, grim as it is, does provide an opportunity for doing things in a different way and learning new approaches, changing how you think for the future. Absolutely, yes. And I don't, I don't want to provide a, a silver lining here for human suffering or economic catastrophe. I'm, I'm simply pointing out that the current crisis is an opportunity for many organisations to examine their practices and to adjust to new circumstances. So to principle number five, be visible. Well, that was obvious in the old days, as it were, walking the factory floor, walking through the office, having meetings. What do you do now? Presumably, you have to do it remotely, virtually. Yes, you need to embrace digital. I think that's the only way that you can be visible uh, visible this, this, this way is because of the, uh, the constraints of the virus. So we all work remotely. And uh, I, I was surprised with the speed by which the you know universities uh, uh, bounced back uh, and transferred all the teaching into the online teaching. Our customers were very open to, to the idea. Our students were very open to the idea, and so forth. So you need to maintain. You need to be visible. And and given the coronavirus constraints, I think the only way that you can be visible is to embrace. Uh, your digital transformation if you're not there already. Now, you mentioned the need to provide hope and reassurance in a crisis. But how can you do that when the anxiety and the stress about losing your job and income are real? It is very, very, very real. And I think we can take the example of most most countries. I mean, most countries decided to support the economy the ways that, that they did. Uh, and, and that's a massive, massive step towards containing those negative emotions. Just give people hope that everything will be fine. We don't, we don't know the answer. We've never been here before. But if we work together collectively, everything will be fine. And obviously, yes, I think during the early stages of the crisis, at least in the UK, there was a massive panic about what's going to happen to my job, what's going to happen to my salary, I can't go to work, I can't pay my rent. But then we see how the government reacted to the whole chaos that, that relates to this particular uh, thing. So there is, there is a way to contain all that negative uh, emotion uh, and catastrophic situation just by giving giving people hope and and tell them that everything will be will be fine it's not easy I, it's it's very difficult of course and i suppose it's just the old cliche keeping calm in a crisis and and then again we need to remember that being on a, on a plane that it's going down it's a different type of crisis from uh, fighting with a pandemic uh, so so it always depends on the nature and the scope of crisis 
and the, the actual context within which the crisis takes place will influence and determine what's the right, uh, the right uh, thing to do. And so to your final principle, number six, learn for the recovery. Is that the principle of what does not kill me makes me stronger? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And, uh, and I think uh, if we can think, if we can break down the crisis into its key components, I think during the early stages we need to kind of control the situation, try to understand what this means for, for, for us as at the individual, group, organizational system level, and then get ready for, for recovery. Uh, and of course, the next step, the, the, uh, and that's, that's important. I'm saying this because uh, during periods of crisis, I think what's happening in, in most organizations is that leaders try to stop what they consider to be peripheral activities uh, and try to focus on, on survival. An example of a peripheral activity during periods of crisis is uh, personal development. And uh, and I think what happened to obviously you know a lot of organizations they immediately stopped any leadership or personal development at exactly the point where the people were under most stress and most pressure and they needed this type of intervention. And when it's all over, when this crisis is over, which it will be, I suppose there'll be the need to sit down and reflect that it's important to learn from the past in order to look forward to future work patterns. Exactly. So in, in my mind, after, after recovery comes this, this idea of, you know, what does this new world mean for me? So under, uh, after recovery, we need to think about how we have to reframe what we do, take into account what we've learned from the crisis, our abilities, our assumptions, our ideas, and so forth, and, and reframe it so that we can adjust to the new ways of doing things, the, 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 new, uh, the new world. To give you an example, I think, you know, remote working has challenged the way that we, go, we work. So, so, you know, the question that relates to remote working is to what extent people, organizations, providers, and so forth are willing to go back to, you know, go back to your office day in, day out. I'm not sure whether that might happen. I'm not sure whether we're seeing, uh, you know, whether the crisis will revolutionize the way that we do our work. But this is something to, uh, to keep an eye on. Because I was wondering, finally, what do you think the landscape of business will look like after all this? I don't think it will be business as usual. I think we need to embrace the, the remote working. Digital transformation uh, will uh, become more uh, relevant and prevalent in a, a, every sector of our, our economy. I, I, I don't know what the future might look like, but what I do know is I think it's, this, this is a nice opportunity to challenge how we think about ourselves, what we do, and how we think about organi our organization. So I suppose there's this idea that a crisis, though unpleasant, offers both danger and opportunity. In a crisis is an opportunity uh, for, for growth and learning. But for that, I think we need to be able to balance the paradox between blame and learning. And the problem, the problem is that during periods of crisis, nobody wants to take responsibility. Nobody wants to be accountable for crisis because responsibility comes with accountability. So there is a massive culture of blame uh, 
in many countries, in many systems, in many organizations. And this is what we need to try to, to change as leaders, move from a culture of, of um, blame to create a culture that enables uh, learning and growth. And, and that's, that's very difficult to balance. Now, I don't want to end on a negative note, but it looks like I'm going to. What about the losers in all this? The businesses that don't adapt, that go bust, the organisations that can't respond. Is there any hope for them? I mean, let's let's think what happened to the likes of Kodak, Nokia, Xerox, and so forth. Then the world, the world around them changed, but they didn't change. Or they changed at a slower pace. And as a result of that, everything changed, but they didn't change. Customer demand changed. The way that customers were doing the business changed. Everything changed. They didn't change. And at the end of the day, they, they lost the game. So, so I think we might see the same here. The problem you see is that managers, leaders, organizations are really keen to be reactive to any crisis. And this is the opportunity. This is the time that we need to be proactive create the role that we would like for us to have after the crisis. But then another paradox here, you know, you need to be to take control of the crisis, but also reinvent the future. I think we can see we can see a positive narrative in front of us. I think the coronavirus has challenged everything that we, the way that we've done business before, the way that we thought about ourselves, our families, our business, and so forth. So there is a kind, there is a positive narrative going around. But I think that if we are able to make the most of this crisis, we need to start with the self, challenge the, the ways that we, we see ourselves, how we think about ourselves, uh, who we are, what we know, what we don't know, and become ready for, for a different future. So I think it's a great opportunity for learning. So, not that negative after all. Professor Spiridonidis, thank you. Dimitrios Spiridonidis, Associate Professor of Leadership and Innovation here at Warwick Business School, talking to me, Trevor Barnes, for this Core Insights podcast.